This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. No matter what, I'm just going to give my best. And if I fail at it, then that's fine. But I have my purpose. I have my calling. I'm doing it. That's Sangram Vajri, marketing geek, author, and co-founder of Terminus on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. We're so glad that you can be a part of our show to put your faith to work and bring your bold ideas to life. And we have a marketing geek uh, on today's show, Armin. Yeah. And um, kind of a fun guy. Yeah. Sangram Vajri. Uh, Sangram is the co-founder and chief evangelist of Terminus. Terminus is a software as a service company that builds account-based marketing. Now, if you're in marketing and business-business marketing, you probably know what that is. But if you're not, it doesn't really matter because the rest of what he's going to talk about is just terrific. But before co-founding Terminus, Sangram led the marketing team at Pardot through an acquisition by Exact Target and then Salesforce. And he's the author of Account-Based Marketing that was published in 2016. But we want to just welcome to the program Sangram Vajri. Welcome, Sangram. I am excited. Thanks for having me. Well, so good to have you. You know, you describe yourself as a passionate marketing geek, and that's one of the things that you and I both have in common. So I'm really interested to get some of your backstory, though, because you've done a lot. And I think sometimes you don't know exactly know where all that begins, because my, my love for marketing actually came up through a degree in physics, believe it or not. So, so I'm really kind of curious about your background and how did you get, uh, how did you get started? Tell us, first of all, about your life growing up. I grew up in India and I was uh, one of the five, uh, youngest of the five. So I got beat up a lot uh, and had a lot of hand-me-down things. So for that reason, I always had to find a way to do something where none of my brothers or sisters could compete because I couldn't compete with them for all that stuff. So I, you know, I was in Boy Scouts, uh, similar to Boy Scouts called NCC up in India. And that shaped a lot of my view on leadership and I learned a lot around that. Then I came here in the States uh, when I was 25 and went directly from India to University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Which, oh, just uh, like home, which, right? You know, for anybody who could be thinking about that, that's a big culture, culture shock yeah. in, in a sense. Uh, but I came here to do my master's in science and then kind of was uh, lucky enough to be at Deloitte and did a whole couple of other things. But one of the reasons, I mean, I love that you shared that you came from a physics background. For me, I'm, I'm not a marketer by trade. Like, you know, if, as a matter of fact, it was 20 years ago, if somebody was looking at my resume and was, and if I would have applied for a marketing job, they would have like not laughed and not even hired me. So it's kind of funny that, you know, now in this day and age, because of a different path that you and I and people like us might have taken, we actually are an asset to a marketing organization because we can bring a different perspective of stuff. So my first introduction to marketing was really when me and a couple of buddies of mine were trying to moonlight a startup, like this was like eight years ago, and uh, I learned everything from building a website to doing SEO and, and pay-per-click and whatnot. And I was like, man, that's cool. This is really good stuff. Uh, and that's how I got introduced to the idea of marketing. But it was purely an accident. And I've ever since loved it. 
You know, you said something else that kind of intrigued me to begin with, and I want to pull on this thread just for a second. So you have your undergraduate degree. I assume you got that in India, right? Yeah. Okay, so you didn't stray too far from home when you got your undergraduate degree. And then somewhere along the way, you decided you're going to get a master's degree, and you're going to come over to America, and you're going to choose, of all the 50 states, Alabama, to go do that in. Roll Tide. I mean, what was the what was the thinking behind and the choice that you made to go to Alabama, of all places? Uh, it was cheap. Uh, okay, so, let me put it that way. so uh, I, I was cheap, not not really the university, but uh, so when you do an application for your GREM to fail, when you go through the exam to to apply for masters, you you know one of the things that I got was four options. After you finish your exam, they give you four options for free that you can apply to without paying hundred bucks or whatever the application fee. And you know, coming from a family of you know, pretty much my dad was a professor and, you know, we just wasn't like a, a like, you know, savings account. This was like a loan that my parents took uh, took out for me, even for the one semester. And my brother said, I'll pay the application fee. My parents said, we'll pay for the first semester. And that's it. You're on your own after that. So for me, it was like, how, where can I save money? So the four options I got, one of the options was University of Alabama. I liked the sound of it. So I just clicked on it and applied for University of Alabama. Boom, it had a nice ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, little did I know that it was one of the top five party towns in 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 entire North America. So I learned a lot about. Parties. Yeah, and I went to the number one party school, which is the University of Colorado at Boulder. So you know, there again, uh, I guess party schools can turn anybody into a marketing geek, <laughs> by almost by definition, I think. So looking back on your life, it got you to where you're at. Let's see. So you graduated from University of Alabama. And then you, you got into, you know, looking at all these different cool marketing technologies. Talk us about where you went. You started your company. How did that go? Yeah. So right after my years of Alabama program, I went to Deloitte, um, learned a lot about consulting. And then, and then I kind of hopped around because I was doing well, but nothing was really driving me inside of me. Like as, as Andy Stanley, who's one of um, a, a really amazing uh, preacher here in Atlanta, he talks about that. You do something in life that breaks your heart. And I think it's a really good way to think about stuff. It's like if it doesn't break your heart that you want to really solve or do something, then, you know, you're just there for the heck of it. But you're not really, really getting into it. And it probably is not going to get you to your biggest purpose. So to me, nothing was really like like driving me nuts and, and making me crazy or keeping me up at night. So so I would just kind of did IT stuff. I did some program management, some project management stuff, did some consulting work. And everywhere I was doing fine and great, but it wasn't really driving me. And then shortly uh, I joined a startup and that's where I ended up doing a ton of marketing work. I used to support a marketing function. And then I started with a couple of friends of mine, a startup in the you know, moonlighting it for about a couple of years. I think that both of those experiences were so enriching to me that it really made me think that, wow, the fact that you can create a message, you put something on the website, you can clearly look at convergence, you can actually see the end result of your stuff immediately if you're good or not. And you can change the emotions of the people. You can actually tap into the emotions of people and, and figure out how to connect with them at a personal level, at a human level. I felt like that was just fascinating part of the world of, of work that I didn't really realize when I was in IT trying to you know fix or break computers for some reason. 
So, so that's really got me into it. And then I got very lucky that uh, Pardot, which was, uh, a, which was a marketing technology company here in Atlanta, hired me to run marketing. And soon later, we got acquired by Exact Target, that got acquired by Salesforce for $2.5 billion. So I went from a 100-people startup company running marketing to being in this $10 billion iconic brand called Salesforce and running marketing there for a couple of years. After that, I started Terminus. So all of that just happened really fast, but that scale that the, what, what really led me was like, man, this really makes me happy when I do it. Even if I fail at it, I'm happy. So why not do more of it? Well, as a Salesforce shareholder, I thank you <laughs> for your service. But let, let me ask you, you mentioned the Andy Stanley quote. So I get the impression that you're a guy that's like, you didn't have anything that kind of triggered your heart then, but did something come along to kind of grip your heart? To me, it has always been a part of me where I wanted to figure out what is, why am I here? Like, you know, I can, you know, thankfully my parents invested in me enough to have a decent education that will and somehow, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I can get a work, I can get by and I can just live and I can die and then that's it. And, you know, I can, I can have a life. So, so thankfully that's true. But is that really what life is all about? Is that what God's purpose for me is? Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about the Andy Stanley quote and, and that part is that I, I, I really felt this deep necessity that I have to find my calling. And it doesn't have to be that I want to be a preacher. It doesn't have to be that I have to be a full-on, you know, just spreading the word. I want to do that through me, through the light needs to shine through me in the world. And if it means through business, then so be it. If it means through a program, marketing, whatever it is. And then as I got into marketing, I really felt happy. I really felt satisfied. I really felt fulfilled. And, and to me, that's when I started to realize, well, that's something that I want to spend more time mm. doing because, as I said, even if I failed, even if I did a really bad campaign, I'd still be happy and, uh, because I had fun doing it. Mm-hmm. So I get that. I mean, I have the same kind of reaction when I do good work in the sphere that God has put you in. It's like Eric Little said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure, right? And that's kind of what you're describing. Exactly. That's one interesting thing about all of this is that a lot of people would ask me sometimes that, hey, man, you you seem like you're always happy. And it's not like there's nothing wrong, right? It's not like everything is fine and dandy. It's not like I'm not having any challenges in my personal life or professional life or, you know, we were raising money and we raised about $30 million in the last three years. And through that process, there are ups and downs, we're hiring, losing people, you know, all all those things have happened. But throughout, you know, I've continued to feel happy and fulfilled but because I didn't feel lost in that whole thing. I I just felt like, oh, I found my higher purpose. I'm going for it. I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm going to make sure that that no matter what, I'm I'm just going to give my best. And if I fail at it, then that's fine. But I have my purpose. I have my calling. I'm doing it. I'm living it. That what I feel God has asked me to do. In that process, I feel like you're absolutely right. It's no longer a temporary thing. And I think this is as a startup guy and a founder, I feel like a lot of people would put a, so much weight on and, and their whole value system will depend on the success or failure of their company. And I no longer subscribe to that. I feel like my success and failure is not dependent on how well my company does. My success and failure is dependent on how well I'm able to spread the, the light that, that God has given me 
in other people's lives. And it, it, it could happen in one-on-one conversation. It could happen through my company. It could happen through the people I chat or customers that we, we reach out to. All that has any and everything to do with it, but it's not going to singularly depend on this idea of a company being successful. Well, I think you're right. A lot of entrepreneurs always gauge this, their own personal identity with the success of their business. How did you acquire that settledness that you have about who you are and what you're intended to do? You know, tell us about your faith story. How did you come to Christ and how did you come to this kind of awareness? Even people who are Christians get a lot of identity wrapped into their work, but you sound like you've got that pretty well settled for yourself. So talk about that journey. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy for sure, and it wasn't natural either. So uh, I don't want to make it sound like, well, you know, yeah, just they, like figure it out kind of thing. But I think it, it, it came to me around maybe the first year or so where we went from now, like we started with three co-founders, and now we're about 200 people. And there was a time where a lot of different functions reported into me, and we sell to marketers. So clearly as a marketer, I was... I've always been the face of the company from that perspective because I can talk passionately about my challenges that relates to our customers' challenges. So it just naturally flows. It makes sense. So I've always been been the face of the challenge that we're trying to solve and how we want to go. And I'm always invested a lot of my time in making sure I'm talking to our customers. So overall, I've just become that glue for internal and external conversation. In that sense, I had a ton of like marketing, sales, customer success, and all that stuff reporting into me. And at some point, I had to pull back, and, and now I'm the co-founder-in-chief evangelist, which means I have no direct reports on paper. I'm 100% leading it by influence. And I came to that realization was because I felt like I was starting to get stretched too thin, and I was in too many things, and I was actually adding negative value to the organization. And it's a really hard place to be because when your organization grows, you have to start the one thing that is probably the hardest thing for founders to do. You have to start trusting others and you have to trust, trust trusting others by really starting to trust God. That the, pe- the reason God has put these people in your life is because he feels that he, you need these people in your life to move. So, so I had to t- go through that realization that no, we have the right team, we have the right people. I feel great about all of these individuals that are surrounding me. As a matter of fact, they're better than me at those individual areas of marketing or sales or success or whatever it might be. So I no longer need to be fully in in depth in the trenches with them in every single thing. I have to almost pull back and let them lead it the way they want to lead it as owners of the business almost. And, um, And for me to be there to influence, guide and support them in every way possible, be the greatest cheerleader for them more than anything. And that realization really required, it took me about six to eight months or so to fully comprehend that that level and to fully uh, accept my new position in a way. And since then, it has been one of the best things that have happened because I'm no longer bound to uh, to anyone or anybody. I'm just bound with, here's the problem we want to solve and let's just find and do the best business decision we need to make. And I'm relying on a lot of people and it has really freed me from a lot of unnecessary conversations and challenges. Uh, I feel like that this is a way for me to impact the most for the business and it allowed me to be a support person more than anything for every person in the organization that has been very fulfilling. But I would say that it's not has been, it has not been a easy road. It has not been something that comes naturally. It definitely didn't come naturally to me. And I feel like it it requires time and self reflection on many levels as to what do you want to build. 
Do you want to build a company around you or do you want to build a company around the problem that you want to solve? Do you want to build a company that's a $10 million company or do you want to build a company that potentially can have an IPO one day? And and based on where you want to do, I think for us, for me, it was like, hey, we want to solve this problem, really center around it. That means that it's not about me. Mm. Uh, it's about the people who are going to actually do these things and the customers that we're going to have. So it needed me to have a self-realization that I need to change to help others lead the way we want to go because without them, we cannot get there. I cannot do it on my own. And that's a humbling feeling in itself. So it is a probably a convoluted loop of self-realization, figuring out, self-deprecating process, maybe a little bit of kind of uh, soul searching of like what you really want to do and then getting to a point being comfortable trusting God and trusting people in the process. I'd like to explore that a little further because it sounds like you uh, were given a fair degree of success that put you into a really into a corner where you had to make a decision about how you were going to behave in with a large, much larger organization. It sounds like uh, you had to shift from being a doer to being a steward seeing that you were given yeah. these resources to deploy and uh, and shift from this attitude of, I'm not building this for me and for my own identity, I'm building it for another purpose. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting about that is when you change your perspective to that process where it's not about you, it's about everything else that you're there for, it actually comes back to you in many tenfold, right? And that's the beauty of all of it is that the day you sh- day I shifted about, because when you're a founder and a startup guy, uh, gal, you you know, it's pretty much your conviction that is riding along, right? People people are giving you money to run or investing in, in the companies because in a way they're actually investing you. So right. you have to have this uber optimism about yourself and the future and the view and have to have a point of view without a customer saying that you're going to change the world. And that's what gets you to get some money when you start start a business. If you are looking for investment money, uh, unless you have some sort of inheritance or something like that, you're raising money to build something. In that sense, you start off being very, very self-promotional and overconfident, almost self-confident to a point of overconfidence, like you have a vision and you have an idea. And then as you grow as a company, you realize that, okay, we have got to a certain point where we need to change this and shift from my vision to our vision, from my view to our view, to telling what to do, to asking questions uh, of what we should do, making a decision to identifying the key parameters, how this should set on. All those things are a big mindset shift. And I wish somebody would just have told me that. Like nobody tells anybody this kind of thing. But that is a big change for an entrepreneur. Because you start waking wake up every morning in the early days when you have no customer thinking you're the greatest person and you know you have answers for everything to like as soon as you hire a few people you start realizing that wow I don't have answers for everything. I need people to help me answer these things. And I think it's a mindset shift in in a big way. Well, I can certainly identify with that. I think that I've seen that not only in myself, but in many entrepreneurs that I've talked to, where that you get into this little bit of a dilemma, like you described. Uh, in many ways, you've got to have the confidence. Otherwise, you yourself won't be successful with it because it's daunting. It's hard work. Starting a business is not an easy endeavor. And so if you don't have the confidence and the, I hate to say arrogance, but this 
inability, grit maybe, this inability to, to just die <laughs> when yeah. everybody else around you might. And, and that has to shift from you owning that to other people owning it. And, uh, and how you cultivate that is really the mark of a good entrepreneurial leader moving to become more of a strategic leader. And it sounds like that's what you're describing. Absolutely, man. I think we, we have a board observer called Tim Cobb, who was the CMO of Exact Target, and he went through the whole acquisition of Salesforce, and so it's, been, it's been really great having him on the board. And he said to us recently, uh, and I think it's such a good point, is like, hey, look, at this point in your, your company, it's more important to get people on board with where you're going than to know exactly where you're going. Let me repeat that for, you know, for, for everybody who might be listening and trying to catch this up is that it's more important to get people on board with where you're going than knowing where you're going. And it really, it took me a couple of days to kind of, kind of sink in that idea, that concept is that right now it's no longer about what I think because I can only move so much. If the majority of our team that are the influencers in our organization, if they are not on board and if they don't feel it's their idea or they're vested in it that much, as much as you are, then it's not going to move. The change is not going to happen. And for any organization to grow, you have to champion the change. And, and you can't do it yourself. You have to have your, your team supporting it. And you can't tell them what to support. They have to feel like it's their idea, or at least they have to have tremendous amount of input where it becomes their idea. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, of course, we love our corporate sponsors, but I really love it when we have an episode that's sponsored by our listeners. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with you. It's the best compliments we ever get is knowing that people are out there that want to invest in this to keep this going. And I think everybody knows, I hope by now, that we are doing this as really as a passion project. Neither of us take any money from it. In fact, it costs us more yeah. than we are getting even in sponsorships to put this program out on the air. So every little bit helps. That's right. So if you want to help invest in this and keep this thing going, we'd love to see your support. Just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. And remember, every donation you make is a tax deductible contribution and comes from the bottom of our heart. A sincere thank you. What was the catalyst to the perspective change that you're talking about that inspired all this that you're talking about right now? Well, I mean, for me personally, it has been like I became a Christian like three years ago. So a startup has been there for about four years now. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about are my own personal journey and personal change. So I'm not saying this is how our company operates every day. It's definitely how I operate that allows, I think, to influence a lot of how the company operates. But, uh, you know, I found Christ three years ago. And in that process, I feel like I went from this very much self-driven, I got it all, I know it all, and I'm better, stronger, no matter what, personally, professionally, because I can build startups, I can raise money. All these things really made me proud. And when you see early success in your personal life or professional life, you start becoming kind of not good of a person. <laughs> and I was that. I was not the best, the person that I would be proud of to say that, right? Mm -hmm. So I've done things, said things, and thought things that I'm not proud of. And I feel like as I 
discovered Christ and I discovered all the good gifts are not from me. It's not me. I've got it from somewhere. Or the things that I, when I make a decision now, it is not based on what's good for me. It has to be rooted in what's the right thing to do, even if it's not good for me. Or uh, it maybe sometimes it's not good for business, but it's the right thing to do. And I have to make that call personally. So all, all those things, I think, really started with the, the foundation. I really didn't have any foundation. Uh, it really comes down to in a world where you don't have a foundation, there are no moral ethics around things. There are no standards. You can make up your own standard. I'm really good at that. <laughs> I, was, I was good at making my own standards, my own answers to my own questions without really great foundation and a lot of things that I'm not proud of. And I think as I found Christ in my journey, I found that, wow, if you relinquish that and you agree that it's not you, it is somebody else, you that humbles you. And when it humbles you, it allows you to look at a bigger picture and understand your purpose and the value much in a, in a much bigger way. And you could, as a matter of fact, when you do that, what I've realized, I didn't realize it early on, but I've realized, especially in the last year or so, you actually can go further than you ever imagined, your wildest imagination, because God's plan are greater than yours. We all know that. I just didn't know that or see that before but i feel like wherever we are or i am personally right now regardless of what happens with my company or not i feel like i'm further along than i thought i could have been as a person and i'm very happy with that so i think my own identity was so wrapped up as we talked about into this whole idea of being just a startup co-founder who wants to just see success at any cost and what happens in the end is all what matters uh, for a business to what I know now is that no, it's you know it's, it's more than more than that. There's more value in how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, how we treat and humble ourselves along the way. And I think that is a very much a a way of life for me right now. That's awesome. So here, here's uh, just because we're running out of time, I'm going to pivot and ask you a question around the type of advice that you give, because I'm sure you get a lot of people asking you questions. I mean, you speak at big conferences across the nation, like Dreamforce and Flip My Funnel, which I believe you started, and PFL's Big Sky, Big Ideas, and even Hypergrowth. So what what's the most common question people are asking you, and what is the advice that you give them? I think some of the greatest questions I get is that, hey, why don't you talk about your product? Which is so weird to get because I never talk about our product. My advice to them is like, look, if I have to pitch my product, then we haven't done a better job of creating awareness of the problem. So uh, so for any entrepreneur listening to this uh, is to, to instead of thinking about a product market fit, which is typically the way people conceive that how startups or how companies are built. It's actually not that. In my view, it is problem market fit. Understand the core problem that you want to solve, get people around it to, to recognize that's the problem so that that becomes a conversation point and then build a community around it, which is what Dreamforce, Hypergrowth, Flip My Funnel, Inbound, all of these are. These are communities where people feel great about talking problem that allows you to build a great company uh, because you're, you're looking at the problem, not just your product. Um, and, you know, as a, uh, in terms of just personal development, I am very open about my belief system and how crisis is, is, is the way that I look and read and try to live my life today is that everybody can wrap their identity around their own thing is to 
to not wrap their identity around and not put themselves or anybody else on a pedestal. Something that I've done quite a bit is I've put other people on pedestal and said that, you know what, I want to be like that person or, oh, I want to be like that co-founder or I want to be like that whatever entrepreneur is. Instead of that, just root your identity uh, in God and focus on that as the starting point. And once you do that, you would free yourself from just trying to be like everybody else and you'll find your purpose and you'll find what you're really good at. And then when you know what you're really good at, double down on it. How do people respond to you talking about your Christian faith? Because if if I were to meet you and you threw out the numbers that you threw out and gave me an IT background, you would fit a very specific stereotype in my head where I would say India, IT, and I would automatically assume Hindu. <laughs> so knowing that, I assume I'm not the only person that would do something like that. Knowing that that stereotype is out there, how do people respond when you say, no, I'm actually not that guy. I'm this Christian guy and I care about humility and I have this perspective about putting other people before me. How do people respond to that? I I think people pleasantly look at that because I I feel like not many Christians talk about it. Right. And and it's it's a sad thing. Um, and, And because I don't have any baggage of like what may have gone right or wrong. I hear about, oh, you know, you know, somebody was, when I was talking to somebody, he was like, well, you know what? I've gone to like churches, you know, and I felt really bad and how they kind of judged me. And like, I don't want to be in that, that church again. So I'm thinking, okay, I get it. You probably had a bad experience at the, the church, but what about God? <laughs> like, you know, the yeah. person that, you know, you really should look up to, not the church or the preacher. And so it all comes down to like how people really, what, what people really think and what they're aware of and how much time. I, I think I do get more questions and I love that because I wish we would ask more questions and I wish we would talk about it more openly. I wish there would be an opportunity for companies to, to really open up for their people to say, hey, you know what? It's important to pray. It's important to to support each other. It's important to think people first. And, and for me, I try to leave in where it makes sense, yeah, as in when possible. Like uh, when I I used to read a lot of books. I still do a lot, read a lot of books. But when I started reading Bible, I, I didn't realize all the principles that I've ever read from Jim Collins to you know Simon Sinek to the whole idea of servant leadership. All these things are coming directly from the Bible, right? I mean, let's just be perfectly honest. Like, I haven't found a single principle that is so out of the world that I couldn't find or couldn't relate to something that I've read somewhere in the Bible. So for me, it has opened up a wealth of information, knowledge, and and understanding that I lack. I am a a baby toddler right now in in my journey. So the more I talk, I feel I learn. But you're right. I do get questions or conversations and I totally love that because I, I, I hope really I want more people to talk about it. Well, I'm glad you're asking for more questions because I'm going to ask you one more. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next bold idea, Sangram? Oh, wow. I mean, today as I stand, uh, I feel like having written the book, having started a company, I feel like God has blessed me beyond my capabilities for sure. And, <laughs> that's true and for I all of us, like I think, right? Now, <laughs> sorry, say again? I say that's true for all of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is 100% true. And I feel like now, I feel like God is just setting me up. When I ask this question in my prayer, I feel like God is just setting me up and saying that, hey, look, this is literally a playground for you. I'm just showing you what you're capable of and what I want you to do. So this is whatever it is that I have for you. This is a 
this is a playing field. This is nothing compared to what, what I have planned for you, mm. what I always hear in my heart and mind. Uh, but at this point, I want you to be 100% focused on helping what you have started and making sure that this goes uh, and, and sees the success that it needs to see uh, with the company and the movement and all the stuff. So in many ways, I'm someone who has so many ideas brewing in my head, but I feel like every time I'm afraid, all those ideas stay there, but I feel this very strong voice telling to me that stay focused and stay humble on the part that you need and finish your job before you take up a new job. Yeah. So I try to try to distance that and, and my bold really is like thousand percent focused and make this as successful as you can because people depend on it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, that's a good word. I lied. Let me ask you one more question. How can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your book or any of the things that you're doing? Sure. I mean, I, I post something daily on LinkedIn. I love love that part of it. I run a daily podcast called Flip My Funnel. And, you know, so I'm a pretty online social guy. I write. And then every Sunday I write something about a thought that I learned about Christ as part of my sharing on Twitter and stuff. So I'm pretty social. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. All right. We'll have links to your social media as well as your book, Account-Based Marketing, on our show notes as well. Sangram, thanks again for being on The Bold Idea podcast sure enjoyed our visit thank you for having me well i mean i enjoyed that visit with sangram just because i felt like i was you know kind of geeking off a little bit with another <laughs> marketing guy though you know i did resist the urge to talk about the marketing side of that which you know maybe that's for another conversation but i do relate with a lot of the things that he had to say about entrepreneurialism i bet you do too yeah well i'm curious about your marketing geek out session that you just had with him because even though you tried not to you definitely did so what was it that was getting you stirred up about it oh i just i mean i, I looked over some of the uh, technology that it has put together and uh, he's just kind of like oh yeah that's pretty cool and his inverted funnel thing and all that and we'll leave that for another discussion but i did really like how he recognized the allure and the trap really that I think that many entrepreneurs when you start your own business can get into where the business becomes your identity and yeah. the success or failure of that business becomes the scorecard for your life. Right. And if it's going well, for instance, you know, when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, it's going well when you're able to pay yourself. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I know this because when you're paying yourself, you're feeling good about yourself. When That's you're not right. paying yourself, you're not feeling good about yes. yourself. And I remember one time when I was writing in my journal that it occurred to me that, wait a minute, wait a minute, where is my identity if the way I feel about myself is tied to the level of income that I get. Yeah. And especially when it like changes so frequently anyway. <laughs> but as an entrepreneur, that's what happens. I mean, that yeah. is the entrepreneurial life. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of energy that entrepreneurs have is identity energy. It's driven this because they don't want to like be a sucky failure, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and be on display for everybody to see that. Yeah. So there's all this frenetic, you know, preoccupation with that. And we you know what Sangram was saying is, you know, I recognized that that was happening and there was this shift that I, I realized I needed to move away from that. I needed mm. to recognize that, uh, that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because my standing before God doesn't change, hmm. you know, with whatever happens to the business. Right. Absolutely. I think one thing Larry said, not you, our producer, that he got a level of self-awareness that allowed him to see where his opportunity for growth was that eventually 
went into the business and changed the way that the culture of the organization was formed, how leadership development was formed, and it just it just changed the trajectory of their business. One thing you didn't even mention, but when I was on the phone with him beforehand, before we did this interview, one thing he said is that not only did it shift the culture of the business for the better, but he said, honestly, if people could see what it did for the numbers, mm. they would get more, even more excited about about what that shift can do for them, but I don't want that to be the biggest motivator. So another version of In Search of Excellence that's the Christian version of that so we can track the performance right. of a, a dramatic change in a <laughs> <Right>. business adopting <laughs> a biblical principle. Good and, luck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he didn't force it though. That's what I liked about him is it was he put it on himself and he carried it in a way that it just became magnetic and it became something that was almost almost contagious to the rest of the culture. And I think other people followed suit because they saw the effectiveness of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think he was really onto something about this whole idea of moving from this stage where it becomes something that is yours to seeing yourself as something that you need to influence others to what hmm. it can become, right? Yeah, his, yeah. his friend telling him it's more important to people to having people in the boat than knowing the direction that they're going. Yeah. You know, I suppose that's true. You don't want to, you don't want all everybody out in the water knowing where they're going. <laughs> what good is that if they're not in the boat? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, as he was saying that, I was thinking, you know, part of what gets people in a boat is alignment in direction. Hmm. And, uh, and I don't know if it's a mutually exclusive thing. Right. You know, and I think part of what was the important point of what he was saying is that my direction doesn't necessarily need to be the one cast in stone. And there can be some collaboration on that. It isn't that you open it up to the masses, but you do seek to get some additional input and perspective. And who knows what God will cause to bring to life. I mean, I'm always fascinated, for instance, when I'll study the scriptures and then I will bring what I study to a study group that's also studying the same scriptures. (laughs) And it fascinates me how different the Lord will speak to people and give just like, wow, do we study the same thing? (laughs) And and yet I can see the lens that they might be looking at the word through. And Mm -hmm. there's a a truth to that, you know? And I think how much am I missing out in texture and color because I'm not allowing myself to get the input from other people. Right on. And I think that's part of what he's saying when he's talking about, you know, moving from this mindset that it's all about you to a mindset that it involves them. And I think that's part, you know, I mentioned the word stewardship as he was saying it, that's what came to mind. That was yeah. a picture that moved from that this is all just about me and it's all generated around my own identity and what's important to me and looking at, no, I'm here as a steward of resources that God has given me in this business or in this enterprise or in this bold idea. Yeah. You know, even if your bold idea doesn't involve employees, it can involve, you know, contractors or it can involve your family. It can involve Vendors. a support system. Yeah. It can involve people you mentor and all those people or people that mentor you and all those people can have a voice and a perspective that could give you some different color to your idea. And so it isn't just your idea. It becomes something that's bigger than that. Oh, absolutely. I watch you do that. It's not like you have employees, but the number of companies that you've consulted and people that you've mentored, you've constantly done that. Well, I do it out of necessity because I don't have the 
brightest ideas on the planet. <laughs> sure, sure. Wasn't <laughs> that long ago, Army? <laughs> and and I, I often like to think, okay, well, let's have this idea as the, be the one to beat. And then it's like it doesn't usually take long for that to be beaten. But it's always a, actually it's kind of a nice way to think about it is if is you're coming up with the idea for your business or coming up with an idea that maybe God might be stirring in your life. Sometimes it's good just to say, let's have this be the one to beat. Sure. You know, and, yeah. and because sometimes it isn't necessarily the one that you should go with, but it's the one that you're just going to set as the marker right there. Yeah. And, and it causes people and others and perhaps yourself to do one better on it. Right. <laughs> Love it. Well, I think that that probably covers the ground that we need to for the essence of this show, lest we talk too much more, Armin, and take away from what Sangram was actually telling us. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast, and you'll find the show notes along with the the links to how to get a hold of Sangram on social media and his book. All those things you'll find on our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 77, because this is episode 77. And we'd love for you to leave us a comment there on our show notes as well. Let us know what you think about the episode, any comments or questions that you might have. Uh, We love to hear from you. And uh, we thank you again for listening and we'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.